well, if you are new here, uh, and if you're not new here, what we do every week is we tell you about our church because we believe it's important. Uh, we see from the very beginning that God calls farmers to leave the edges of their fields for their community, for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner. Essentially, what he asks is to, to leave hope for people who are in desperately need of it. For, for people who are broken and can't provide for themselves. And so here at this church, we've been asking this question, what does it look like for Joliet First to become a community of hope? That is our mission statement, to become a community of hope. And not only that, but how do we become the edges of the field to our community around us? That's the question that we're asking. And so as we say, there are four markers or principles that we live by that kind of guide us into that kind of hope mantra. And the first one is that we will seek God. That we will pursue God with the same intensity at which he pursues each of us. You know this, right? That we will seek him with everything that we have. And as we build a relationship, there's a love that begins to exist that somehow needs to overflow and come out of us. It needs to be poured into other people. So as we seek, we then begin to invest in other people. Our gifts, our time, our talents, and even our ties. That's part of it as well. That we will give as much as we can to other people and to God's body and community. And as we begin to invest in people, the hope is that we don't make them look more like us, but rather they were restored into the image that God created them to be. That somehow, they will begin to live a life that looks more like God and less like the world. That is the goal. And so, uh, after that, that's right, Jess is all over it. As we restore people into God's image, with His, His grace and mercy and a little bit of our work, our goal is to send people, send people into the world to show them what the hope looks like. So... Welcome to Joliet First, if you are new. That is our mission, that is our hope, and we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. We have been in a series uh, over the last three weeks called Why Do We? Uh, we've had a lot of questions over the last year on why do we do some of the things that we do when we're in church. Uh, we've introduced a lot of practices that are not new to the church, but new to us, new to our evangelical environment. Uh, and some of those have been preaching from the lectionary. We say the Apostles' Creed. We uh, say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week we talked about passing the peace. We also read a lot of scripture. That there are provided scriptures given to us each week that we use. And some of us are asking, why do we read scripture so often? It's a great question. Why do we have communion every week? We've gone to communion every week. Why do we do that? And so some of us have begun to use language like, well, it's too liturgical. And what I think is we haven't understood what liturgical actually means. I think what you mean is it's become too routine. And routine is something done without thought, whereas liturgy is something that is meant to be lived. Literally, liturgy is the work of the people. See, I think many of us think that we just come sit here and go home. But the point of doing everything that we do on Sunday, part of the practices that we do here and perform on Sunday cause to be a different kind of people throughout the week. And so that's why we do what we do. And, and we truly believe that as a Christian, as a Christian, you cannot exist apart from the church. Now, some, some of you may disagree with me. We can have a, a long conversation over coffee sometime. But you cannot exist as a Christian apart from the church, just as the church cannot exist without you. And so everything that we do here on Sunday morning kind of, kind of gives us a framework for how we live life. Last week we described passing the peace as a way of life. We talked about framework and practices last week. It was a way of life. And these last two weeks, I want to begin to think about it as a story. So, uh, with that, would you, would you pray with me before we get this message? Lord, we give thanks for this time. 
We pray that your, your spirit dwells within, you, within us, that our, our ears and our minds are open to you, and that you will speak truth to us this morning. May we deal with your word with, with grace and honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I would like to start by... I would like to read scripture first. I think that's what we're going to do. We're starting First Timothy this morning. So if you would stand with me and open your Bibles to First Timothy 4. This morning, it's so fitting. Uh, we're talking about sharing the story of scripture. And the importance of why we read so much scripture. And so this morning, I, I want to start with that. And I want us to give thanks for God's word again, because it, it is amazing that we even have this available to us. So, 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to read all of it. So if you get tired and need to sit down, please read it. 1 Timothy 4, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Whew, love to say that one. Such te- teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Tell us how you really fit, Paul. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created them to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of faith and good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some virtue, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now I need you really to tune in if you're not reading with me. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example before your believers in speech and conduct, in love and faith and in purity. Until I come to visit you, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to the teaching of God's Word. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in high school, I love sports, dating, and sports. <laughs> but many of you may not know that I, there's kind of this hidden side of me as well that I don't talk about often. Uh, I am embarrassingly, embarrassingly unashamed to tell you that I was part of show choir in high school. That's right. I would wear the weird vest with sequins. I would stand before people singing and do jazz hands. Yes, you know. Uh, there's uh, anyway. There's no business like show business. Anyway, uh, I was part of show choir. I was uh, I was part of a quartet. I loved our quartet. The winners we would go and we would we would sing before these really 
rich people, and we'd like lots of money. It was awesome. It was a good time. Uh, not that, you know, it's a scene. We made lots of money. Uh, I was also, I have to brag myself just because I'm having a moment of insecurity, but I actually made the Ohio State all-choir. Uh, 50,000 people try out and only 200 make it. And I made it my junior year of high school. It was so much fun. It was, I, I was really insecure. That's right. That'll be it. I won't write anymore. Uh, it was a really good experience. You talk about feeling insecure. Just put yourself up with some of the best people in the state. I was also a part of every musical. Every musical that we had during my tenure at Sydney Langman High School. And, uh, I loved it. It was fun. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, I don't often talk about my artsy musical side, but I do have that side to me, and that was a big part of my life growing up in high school. One of the things that I really enjoyed was my sophomore year when we decided that West Side Story would be the premier musical for the year. And I think why I like that that musical so much is because I had a big part in it. It only really matters when you're in front, you know? So, uh, But I had a big part in West Side Story, and uh, I played Riff, leader of the Jets. It was really cool. You got to be tough and beat people up, and it was a really fun part to play. Uh, but you know, in high school, I was very simple-minded, you know? People would tell me, I never got really the big picture of everything, never really understood, you know, like I said, the big picture of it. But I remember I made the part, and they handed me a script, and they said, Go and read this script. Memorize the script with everything you have. You have about a month or so that you need to know this. So get at it. And it was quite a few lines to learn. Now for some of us, memorizing uh, the script is easy. Memorizing the lines is easy. You have a photographic memory. I had a student who literally could recite every scripture in the Bible. I don't know how he does it, but he was just amazing at what he did. I'm not like that. It takes a lot of repetition, a lot of practice for me. But I remember one of the most difficult things about memorizing these, these parts was that I was trying to memorize conversations without understanding the entirety of the story. That I could understand as I began to learn the lines that I was supposed to have inflection of anger or disgust or excitement or, or happy or humility. Like I understood that that's how I was supposed to act in those moments. But I never really understood how those conversations fit into the entire musical. Because I, I didn't go and watch the movie or anything like that or the musical before I did, which would have helped. <laughs> and our music teacher was genius. This is why, uh, after I received the script, I memorized it. We had a big first rehearsal. And our music teacher always made us do this. When you were not on the stage, you were re- required to sit in the stands and watch the rest of the musical. Now, I thought that was kind of dumb, until the first rehearsal. Because I'm sitting there, and I'm beginning to watch all these other scenes unfold. And it was in that moment that I began to realize, oh my goodness, this is how my conversation that I memorized back here fits within this moment. That the rehearsal was helping in some way to, to, to give me a full picture, and the entirety of what the musical was trying to portray, this story about life and death and about forgiveness and love and passion. And I began to realize in that moment that everything that I did hinged upon, everything that happened within that musical hinged upon my performance. That I began to see that that I had a, a huge part, not just a lead part, but if I didn't perform well, the musical wouldn't go well because everything built upon each other. 
And so it was in the rehearsal that I began to understand where I fit in on this huge story. But like many of us, the production is the best part. I think the production is the best part because all of a sudden when you get on stage, something happens that you never expected. It's during the rehearsal, it's during the memorization of the lines that when the curtain opened, I began to realize that there's something different about me. That why I am fully still me, I am fully not me in this moment. That I have entirely become somebody else, that my, my imagination had been converted. Now that word scares a lot of people. But, but in order for us to fully understand the character of who we're supposed to be, your imagination must be converted in some way, that we become that character and we begin to embody that very person. And you cannot have a good production if you do not have people who can embody that very person. You see, you know you have a good production when people, when people begin to, when the audience begins to find themselves part of the story as well, where they find themselves captivated by what is happening on the platform. And not only captivated, but they find themselves in the middle of it by the emotion and the feeling portrayed by the actors. So you know you've had a good production. A producer knows they've had a good production when people walk away and they say, I want to be like Brad Pitt. I want to be like this character from this movie. or Because there's something about that person that has so caught your attention, you want to be part of it. And so this morning... <laughs> I want to say this, that we all have some story that shapes us. Each of you are shaped by some kind of story. Your imagination is converted by some sort of narrative, whether you realize it or not. It only takes a 30-second commercial for you to, to, to unknowingly realize that you're, you're being kind of drawn in. I mean, somebody, let's take a car, for example. A 30-second commercial on the car somehow draws you into this idea that you need a new car, that somehow you'd be popular if you had this new vehicle, and it's also bots you into the story, the story of consumerism of, of, of America. Military commercials. I love them. They, they kind of build up emotion. But what happens is, is young men and women see these commercials, and they are, they are so captivated and bought, their imaginations have been shaped by that commercial that they then leave their homes and begin to serve their country and protect the world around them. Followers of Jesus are shaped by some story. The question is, what story is it that is molding and shaping you this morning? I think the danger, I think the danger for many of us and for the danger of the church is this, is that often we begin to take what I call secular stories or secular liturgies and we mix, mix them with sacred stories. That we take the ways of the world and we somehow begin to mix them with the ways of the church. And what happens is our imaginations are then captivated by this, this mixture that then becomes one where we can no longer differentiate between who God has called us to be and what the world wants us to be. That the way of the world has become the way of the church. And it's extremely extremely dangerous when we begin and we don't even realize that, that we have bought into this dualistic story of, of world and church. Of world and the way that Christ has called us to. And we'll see, we will quickly see that they were never meant to be together. It's really like mixing 
water and oil. And so we read from Timothy this morning because Timothy is facing a difficult situation. You see, Timothy has been given a new church. He's a new pastor. I love it. He's a new pastor in Ephesus. Timothy is, is young. He's reserved. He's quiet. He's timid. That's why they call him Timothy. That's a bad joke. Some of you with a good sense of humor will get that. <laughs> but he was very quiet. He was very reserved. He was very timid. And he was given this church of people who were quite disputatious. They were disputatious bunch. They were quite rowdy. There were a lot of new pagans entering the church. But there was also this, this group, this bunch of people who were going rogue in their version of Christianity. If that makes any sense. They kind of had their own philosophy about who Jesus was. And the greatest danger for the church is, is that they were teaching a life about Jesus that in some way looked like what they had learned from the world. That what they began to teach about Jesus was, was mixed with the philosophy and mixed with practice and mixed with thought that they had been taught in their pagan cultures. And so Timothy has his work cut out for him. And Paul begins to, to, to warn him and to instruct him because he realizes that Timothy, in some sense, is over his head. That he, he is trying to deal with matters and affairs that he's not trained to do. And so Paul wants to say to him, this is what you've been called to do. Do you remember when people laid their hands upon you? This is your gifting. This is what you've been called to do. And so Paul says to him, I love this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I love it because people always tell me, you're young. You're a young pastor. It's okay. It's okay. We'll let that be your excuse. He says, don't let, don't let anybody look down on you because you were young. But set the examples for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. <laughs> Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and teaching. And do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands upon you. There is a vicious lie, which the third, which the church thought was truth, that was beginning to shape Timothy's church in Ephesus. And Paul begins to write to him, and he says, "I love this, Timothy. I want you to use the public reading of scriptures to show people what kind of believer you are, to instruct them, to teach them." Because this is the kind of narrative that I want shaping them. And see, Paul begins to write to Timothy, Timothy to say this, that it is Scripture that centers us. It is Scripture that centers us. And so he's beginning to instruct him to, to begin to realign a congregation that has been malaligned in many ways. But they've been taking much of what the world had taught them. They had somehow converted that with Jesus, and their imaginations have been hijacked by a practice in a way that looked nothing like Christ. That's what Paul says. Center yourselves on Scripture. To the public reading of Scripture. Now that's what we're talking about today. But I think many of us have a misunderstanding of what Scripture actually is. Here's what I mean. Scriptures literally mean writings, and there were a lot of pagan cultures that had their own sacred writings, their own scriptures, and what they believed. But what's interesting in the New Testament is our scriptures are referred to as the Word. And in John's Gospel, it says, The Word has become 
right here. That the Word became flesh in and through Jesus Christ. And you see, I think, I think so often we think that Scripture is the Bible. And we'll say things that, that the Bible is authoritative. But we have to understand that it is, Scripture is not the authority of the Bible, but it is the authority of Jesus revealed in the Bible. But there's a huge difference. You have to understand that. Scripture is not the authority of the Bible, but it is the authority of Jesus revealed in the Bible. And so what I'm trying to say is this is that Scripture is Jesus. Jesus is God. And everything that we do must be centered upon His life. What I find so amazing is that even in the Christian faith, we sort of downplay who Jesus is. Yeah, I know what He says, Pastor. But do you remember what God said in the Old Testament? Do you remember when He killed all those people? Do you remember that? And then we have this huge problem where we no longer understand this life of Jesus with the experience we see in the Old Testament. You see, while God may, and I don't know how I feel about this, but while God may remain the same throughout life, the way He has revealed through us through the Scriptures is different. Let me explain just a bit further. You see, people have an understanding of who God was. And as God begins to reveal himself to people, we begin to see from the Old Testament to the time we get to the Jesus that their mindset has slowly began to change. That this whole time God was love, that he created out of love, and he meant us to be loved. But we never actually understood that, that we understood God in our own terms, in our own ways. And then Jesus comes in and says, the word of God became flesh. And this is what it looks like. This is who God is. God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. And whatever we say about God must be true about Jesus. And whatever we say about Jesus must be true about God. Now, this is important. This is so important. Because we have used the Bible to manipulate it for our own purposes. Destructive, hateful, ungodly purposes. And so I'm trying to tell you this morning. We, we can say that the Bible is authoritative. Now, it is the authority of Jesus revealed in the Bible. That is what Scripture is for us this morning. So, why do we? Why do we stand up in this service and recite Scripture? Why do we, why do we sing the song of praise? I want to take you back to my West Side Story metaphor for a minute. You see, part of, as I said earlier, part of the beginning of the story is learning to memorize the script. That it takes practice, it takes time, it takes us a, a lot of work to, to work through the lines that we've been given. But what I want us to understand this morning is that Scripture has become the script for us. Scripture is the script. That the life of Jesus is the script for us. And I love this thought because in many ways we, we have to, to get the script in order to understand the full story. That as we begin to recite the script and say the script, in some sense it becomes, and I don't know if I like this word, but it becomes a constitution for us. That this is the values, this is the virtues that God 
God has called His people to live. And we begin to live as a new creation, that's not a word I made it up, a new creation community. That our imaginations are now shaped by what, what has been revealed in the life of Jesus. That we become hope by the very ways that, of love and peace and kindness and mercy. I know that I'm putting some of you to sleep talking about Jesus. I don't, I don't know how to catch your attention this morning. <laughs> But the point of scripture is that it moves us to become citizens of a kingdom that looks nothing like what the world asks us to be. I'm going to say something that may be a bit controversial, but I think the printing, printing press may have been one of the best and worst things we've ever had in life. Here's what I mean. I am so glad that we have produced massive amounts of Bibles for people to, to get their hands on all over the world. But something that is mass-produced is not a limited edition. See, some of you have had cars, beautiful cars or coin collections that were limited editions. And the reason why they're so expensive is because they're limited. Only so many people have those. Only so many people can get their hands on them. And you see, back in the day, scriptures were limited. There was a limited edition, number of editions of scripture. And so scriptures would be held in the church, they'd be locked away. And so every week we would gather and there would be this public reading of the scripture. Now think about this. You've been told that, that God has come to this world. He has come to save you. Your life has somehow been changed. But you have no way of knowing what that looks like because you have, don't have scriptures readily available to you. But now they're proclaimed every week to you. Can you imagine the anticipation of, oh my goodness, last week, God just forgave. Jesus just forgave this lady who was caught in adultery. What an amazing story. I can't wait till next week when, when the pastor gets up and reads a new story to us about who God is. And can you see that, that our minds slowly begin to be captured by the stories that are read in Scripture? That our hearing this is limited and so it's more precious. And see, I don't want to take Bibles away from people. Some of you don't even know where your Bibles are. That's the amount of time today. But I think, I think if, if we had Scripture not readily available to us, it would, the reading of Scripture would look more like a party and less like a wake. That when we would come to hear the Word of God, we would be so excited to hear the script and the way that God has called us to live. That we would then begin to take that and become who we are, be the virtues that we live by. And it would, it would move us toward the goals that God has called us to be. See, we have, we have in many ways perverted and diluted the importance of God's word because we have it available to us all the time. And that is why when we read scripture here we say thanks be to God. Next week we'll, we'll let balloons go. <laughs> scripture. Jesus. Scripture is the script. I love that. But I also love this thought that, that it's not just the script, but it's what we do with the script. You see, it takes a rehearsal. It takes publicly saying. It takes performing and perfecting the script over and over and over for us to get it right. 
And I think what rehearsal calls us to, especially in the church, is that as we practice the script, as we practice God's words, that we would then begin to enact them. That we would embody them. That we would become them. And then as we begin to do these things, a greater story is told. A story that that people from the stands begin to look at and say, Oh my goodness, that's so amazing. How do they do it? I want to be part of it. But as we practice and perfect who God is here, we can somehow begin to do that out in our daily lives when we're working, when we're with our families, when we're basically Monday through Saturday. We become that. We become that person. We've embodied that in many ways. I think rehearsal is important. And that's why we practice this reciting of scripture here. I also think that production is important. As I said earlier, the best part about the opening scene was becoming somebody else other than myself. That I was still fully me, but fully somebody else. And I think this is what scripture is meant to do, is that that you are still fully you, but, but as God's word, you begin to, to encounter his divine presence. You are still fully you, but you are called to be fully someone else. That your imagination has been converted in many ways. And that as your imagination is converted, you are then beginning to read the world with a different view. That the way we begin to see the world around us is completely different than the way everybody else sees it. So no longer are we, are we viewing people and viewing our jobs and viewing the life the way the world sees it. But the way that God has asked you to see it. It's a conversion of the imagination that is so important. So here's what I want you to know today. Encountering the story of Scripture is the narration of the church for the re-narration of the world. Encountering the story of Scripture is the narration of the church for the re-narration of the world. I know I've told you this before, but I've got to give you an image of what this looks like. A few years ago, my, my life had been completely hijacked by this deluded mixture of church and world. You see, my life was, because I had served in the military, guided by this militant way of life, that, that the way we solve the world's problems is by bombs. And now, if you, if you disagree with me, then, then you'll become part of that narrative. Uh, very militant view of life. And because of my experience in the Middle East, I also became very racist. I was racist. And I've admitted this to you before. But I hear how we refer to people in the Middle East and I cringe. And I cringe not because you say it, but I cringe it because that's what I used to sound like. And I realize how destructive and painful my words were. You know, I was also politically shaped. I was shaped by putting God in my political box. And that somehow God would begin to hate all the people that I hated. He didn't look like me. 
You didn't have money like me. I, I had no apathy for people and sympathy for people. I would say that I was a Christian. That's the funny part. That somehow my life had been changed by God. But once again, this is the perfect example where the world and the church had mixed and had been diluted in such a way that I thought I was a Christian, but I looked nothing like Christ. That while I was supposed to be fully somebody else, I was fully myself. And I was very arrogant, egocentric, and all about me. That life was about as many toys as I could possibly get. Being debt-free and all that cool stuff. But then my life was re-narrated. My life was re-narrated in such a way that as I began to open up God's Word, and I began to look at the Scriptures, and I had a, a pastor who loved me, and he mentored me so much, like, all the time, and he would just ask questions. And my eyes were open to who Jesus was. And I'll never forget, my hatred, my hatred for people, went from being racist to seeing that everybody that's created and the image and likeness of God. By the way, if you open your scripture, you'll find that in the very beginning. That as God created human beings, they were created in His image and in His likeness. And I began to realize that, that these were people, just like me, who had wives and husbands and kids and jobs and emotions. These were people. And my life was re-narrated in such a way that I could see them for who God sees them as. Loved ones and children of God. Children of God. I quickly began to realize that life was not about how much I could consume or acquire or how debt-free I could be, but rather was about who I could serve. That really, the greatest life I could live is serving and learning how to do that. I'm not even close to perfecting that. One of the greatest things that happened to me in that process was being re-narrated politically. You see, Jesus is not, I'm going to say this because in a few weeks we're getting ready to vote. Jesus is not Republican. He's not Democrat. He's not Independent. He's Jesus. I hope you get that. He is Jesus Christ. And he did not fit God, the Messiah, into some political box because he is not bound by boundaries or barriers. But he is for all people. And he loves everyone. And so many of us are going to the polls thinking that we are voting for Jesus, but the reality is, I think Jesus is laughing at all of us. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote or you should vote. I'm just saying, that really doesn't matter. That whoever is voted in, we live a completely different existence from the world. That our lives will not end if Hillary or Donald or whoever gets elected. That life will continue through Jesus Christ and through this church. And we will begin to show the world that, that they will never solve the problems of the world. But that Jesus Christ is at the center of it. And we will be part of that. Yes. That is what we are called to be, ladies and gentlemen. And that is Jesus. Some of you need to be re-narrated this morning. It wasn't until I was re-narrated. I was called to be a pastor years ago. But it took this five, six-year transition for me to become a pastor. And I think God knew what he was doing. Because I didn't. But some of us need re-narrated this morning. Some of us are so caught up 
Some of us are so caught up in our own brokenness that we can't see the God who wants to change your life. Some of you are so caught up, some of us are so caught up in our own selfishness that we can't see who he wants us to serve. Some of us are so caught up in our own politics that we don't even know Jesus when they're standing right in front of us. We've allowed our hatred. I will use that word. Because the way that we talk to each other in the world is nothing but hatred. We've allowed hatred to shape our lives. And so while we think that we are predominantly Christian, we often live more like the world. And just like Paul writes to Timothy, he's here to warn us that that is not how the church is supposed to be. But rather, the church becomes something completely different. That we embody the scriptures, that we embody Jesus in such a way that we become the narrators for the world. That people will begin to look at the church. They will begin to look at us. They will begin to look at the way we love each other and they will say, wow. That's not how the world does it. Wow, I want to be part of that. Can I help you understand where we are? I kind of think about I kind of think about life in a trilogy. I hope I'm right in this, right? Trilogy three movies, right? <laughs> Wake up. Alright, trilogy. That the first movie has already been produced for us. We've been told this wonderful story about what life is supposed to look like. The first the first movie has been written. But what's interesting in production is Something has happened that never ever happens. That the third piece has already been written as well. That we are told, we are told what the movie is going to look like in the future. And we are stuck right in the middle in this beautiful time producing the second movie. You see, God has called you to be an actor at this moment. And the second scene hinges upon, upon the first. But what I want you to understand this morning is that the third scene hinges, or the third movie hinges on the second just as much. You see, I think when Jesus says, when God says, I have plans to make all things new, I think in some sense he, he knows that that's going to happen, but he has called us to be the co-laborers in the middle that, that make part of that happen. So this is the beauty of the Christian life, is we've been given the freedom to enact, to embody and to re-narrate the world around us. I guess the question I have this morning is, is Joey at first ready to re-narrate the world? Are we ready to re-narrate the community around us? I cannot do it. We cannot do it if we don't do it as a body and as a community. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of wonderful ministries that require our participation outside of this church. And if the script has become our life, you're called to move. You're called to move outside of this place. That being a Christian is more than just being here, but it's about being out there. And we need your help. I need your participation in our community projects. I need your help in our Hope Club. I need your help in our single mother's ministry. I hate to tell you, but the same volunteers 
the same 5%, I'm not even going to give us 20%, the same 5% of volunteers in this church are doing everything. And if you are moved by what Jesus has done for you, you must be moved with an investment to other people as well. God's going to use this. Whether it's you or whether he brings more people, this church is going to be on the move and we're going to do great things because God is willing to use us. So I'm asking that you be part of that this morning. And part of that starts by being re-narrated in our hearts and our lives. So, one of the things I love is that we are re-narrated by the table. That each of you, each of you, everyone, I don't care whether you where you are in life, no matter how bad you are or how awesome you are, you're called to, to, to come forward and dine at God's table with grace. It's for everybody. So if our, 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 uh, those serving communion would come forward this morning, for those of you who are serving, come forward this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, I want us to understand that these last two weeks, are the most important. That what we do on Sunday, the word and the table, are the most important things we do. If we are not proclaiming the word on Sunday and participating in the table, we are not doing anything Christian. And so these last two weeks, while they may be a little more petty in some sense, these are the most important weeks and the most important practices of why we do what we do. Because without them, it would just be a great gathering to make ourselves feel better and go home. So as you come forward, may you receive the grace of God. We believe that in this moment when you take the bread and you dip it in the, in the wine, in some sense, you are receiving God's grace and His love, that your life will be changed by that. So I ask that you take time. Reflect upon it. Receive the body. And if you need time to pray this morning, come and do that. Let me pray for you. Lord, we give thanks for this time together. We give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your son, Jesus, who is the scripture before us. <laughs> Lord, this morning we receive your son. Receive his love. We, we honor what he has done on the cross. And we celebrate what he has done over the grave. That he is a resurrected king. So, Lord, we gather this morning. We come forward. And we receive this life that you've given us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand and join me as we close in prayer together? Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your kingdom. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lifts his countenance towards you and gives you peace. Amen.